And the Matthew account of this event is the easiest one to follow. And normally what I would do if I was teaching on a miracle like this, and it's recorded in several places, and that's what I do when I teach on the the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, I integrate the scriptures from all the books that have that account so that you have the total feel of it. But we, I don't have that much time. I had to be more creative. And so we will start in, in uh, Matthew 8. But you need to understand that the event in Matthew 8 occurs right after Jesus had fed the 5,000 and all, and after the storm on the water. Wow. The storms of nature on the water, the external storms. And then he comes into this event, another vicious storm, an internal storm. But what he was really doing, and this is the thing we don't understand, he was trying to assess how well the disciples had listened to the parables and the private explanations he had provided them. Were you listening about what I was talking about? And evidently, not. What is unique about the account in Matthew the demonic possession is of two men. Now, I'm always attracted to numbers. You know that. There's two here. There's only one in the Mark account. There's only one in the Luke account. Why? And the question I had for the sermon is, which one of the two are you? Well, we're going to find out. And the question that ran through my mind, is this another situation like the ten leopards that came up to Jesus and only one of them returned to thank him? Nothing is said about the other nine. Is this one of those situations too? Now we could speculate it, speculate on it, and I might, but I will comment on Matthew 9, 27 through 31, there are two blind men. Two blind men. And when Jesus healed them, the scripture says they departed and they spread the news about Jesus. Both of them did. The fact that the scriptures omit one bothers me a little bit. But we'll be gracious and give some other possibilities to move through it. Now, the Mark account is very dark. And several years, just before I had, it was actually just before I had finished my degree at seminary and I was pastoring a church, I got exposed to some people that were demonically possessed. One of them, he was so angry at everybody. He couldn't control the anger. You couldn't even talk to him about spiritual things. It would be anger all over the place. And this guy was from California. 
The other one, and I was in Louisiana at this time, and I was ministering there, was someone that was involved in the occult. And if you've ever been to Louisiana, it's there. It's always been there. And I had a black pastor I knew down the street, and we would visit every now and then. And I said, is this the reality in Louisiana? Because I hadn't come across this ministry before. He says, yep. And this was northern Louisiana, not southern. And so it frightened me, and so I spent a lot of time in the scriptures. And one of the passages I spent a lot of time was Mark 5. And we're not going to go through them. You can go back and look at it. But there were 12 things that made mention about these demonics. And dwelt by another being. They had supernatural physical strength. They had fits of rage. And that's what I have seen as being the biggie. Suffering, both emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. Splitting of the personality. That is also another thing you see. Self-destruction tendencies. Suicidal tendencies. Moral depravity, restlessness, clairvoyant power, variation in the voice. And that's what I heard in my second one. Resistance to the faith and spiritual thing. Obsession with their space. Notice how the scripture says in Matthew, they wouldn't let anybody walk by their road. An obsession with their space. And as I was praying through this this morning, you know, I think I had a faculty member in my department here at UT that had a lot of these characteristics. And he was from Cuba. Now, some of these symptoms spelled out in Mark are symptoms of mental illness. But Matthew summarizes it well. Look at the Matthew account, what it says in verse 28. They were so exceedingly violent. Exceedingly violent. That word exceedingly is only used two other places in the scriptures. It's used to describe the joy that the wise men had as they proceeded from Jerusalem to, to Bethlehem to see Jesus. They, that was the kind of joy they had. Wow. And the other time it's used, it's used to describe Jesus' garments on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were exceedingly white. They were so white. Wow. Exceedingly violent. And we've seen a lot of exceedingly violent behavior in the last two years. Makes me wonder some things. Well, the scriptures also say that the deliverance was in Jesus and Jesus alone. The Mark account says the demonic, seeing Jesus from a distance, they ran up and bowed down. He ran up and bowed down before him. Look at that. The demonic bows down before Jesus. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe in shudder. Demons have an intense, unquestioned belief in God's existence, power, and unity. But they have no faith 
in the work of redemption. No salvation, eternal damnation. And what's interesting, there's no atheists or skeptics among the demons. They're not there. And Jesus, if you read the account in the Mark account, Jesus makes this interchange with demons. He says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. uses singular. And then Jesus asks, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, Jesus didn't have to ask that question. Why did he ask that question? So that the disciples realize that there's a difference in demonic activity. They needed to know prayer and fasting are necessary to deal with those kinds of things. Wow. An impossible event. But what is interesting, if you go through the Matthew and Mark accounts, there are three prayers. And the answer to two of the prayers is yes. And the third prayer is a no. So let's look at those. Now, the, the third aspect is the degeneracy of the community. And we'll see that here. But let's look at the request. The first request was by the demons. Let us be cast in the herd of pigs. And it says, the scripture says, and they fled down the steep part of the, and that's the way the west, the eastern part of the Sea of Galilee is. They had been on the western part, they had gone over by boat, and they were now on the eastern part. And so it fits the geography very well. And they asked to be cast into pigs, and Jesus answered this one as proof that the demons were actually removed. He knew the disciples and people need visualizations. It's the same way when you share the Christ with someone. Sometimes they don't understand the big words we use. We've got to give them visualizations of some of those truths so they can grab it. When I have been in nursing homes in the past and shared Christ, one of the things I've used is what we use in child evangelism. Colors. Four colors. Black, man's sin. Red, Jesus' blood covers man's sin. White, inherit the rich, riches, richness of the holiness of God. And then the last color? Green, to grow in that relationship. You've got to keep it simple. If you've ever been in a nursing home, you'll be lucky to get two minutes of concentration. But it is a way of simply sharing 
Christ. Well, the scriptures recur, record here, the herdsmen fled to the city with a report on the herd of the swine because they had been taking care of them. And when they came back, the demonic, or at least the one, was clothed and in his right mind. And the scriptures tell us the people were frightened and asked Jesus to leave the community. Jesus answered this request too. It's another yes. He doesn't stay where he's not wanted. And I have been in some communities where the voice of God has been stilled. I was in, when I was in seminary, there were a number of the young men, idealistic, I think, but they thought, well, we're going to go up into the northeast and start churches. Have you been to the northeast New England churches? There's not a lot of life there. There are a few, but not a lot. Hard mission field. Hard mission field. And this town in Louisiana where we started this church, they weren't real receptive to it either because they were all bound by their traditions. They had always done things a certain way. They didn't want anybody to rock it, especially somebody who wasn't one of the, the, the native boys to the area. I wasn't native. Initially, that church had to close. But the foundations of that church arose two years later, bigger than ever. God was not silent. Discipleship and the one. Now, the Mark account records the request of the man the main demon-possessed man, that he might accompany Jesus. But Jesus didn't let him. He said no. Two yeses and one no. Wow. But he gave this demonic special instructions. Go home to your people. Go home. Report to them what great things God has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Now, everybody misses this. You must realize when this demonic went home, he would have had the scars from the shackles. He would have had the cuts on his arms and body. He would have been like Jonah going to Nineveh, whose skin was probably white from being in the stomach of a whale. He would have had an immediate testimony. Immediate. You couldn't deny something fantastic happened to him. Wow. 
Now, this is a guy I like, I'm looking forward to sitting in he- down with him in heaven and spending a little time with him. And notice now, if you look at the Mark account, let's turn to Mark 5. Verse 20. And he went, on, went off and began to proclaim and to capitalize what great things had done, God, Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Well, you know why they marveled. He was a walking miracle. And what I think is so fantastic here, he remembered the bondage which he had been in, the hell and everything he had gone through. He remembered all that. See, I've been around, because of my youngest son, I've been around people involved in drugs. Their ability to remember much is little. But this guy remembered everything. And he went back to Decapolis. Now, let's turn to Mark. Seven and eight. Now you're going to hear the rest of the story. The story's not over. Mark seven thirty one. And again he went from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. He's on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where the demonic returned to. Now, what's the time frame? Probably six to nine months. There's not much more room for that. But from all I can tell, from the chronological aspects of this event, Six to nine months. Then chapter 8 in Mark. In those days again when there was a great multitude, they had nothing to eat. He summoned his disciples and he said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they've remained with me now three days, have nothing to eat. Not just one day at the first feeding of the five thousand. Three days. They were hungry. This demonic had been sowing for six months. Sowing the Word of God for six months. There's no record of him sharing, but I think his physical appearance might have brought a lot of opportunity. He was faithful to the commands Jesus gave him. He went back to the capitalists, sowing, probably watering. I don't know if reaping. Turn with me to another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3.
7, 8, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are God's fellow workers, you are God's fields, God's building. Sowing, watering, reaping. When I sow, I pray. When I water, I pray. When I reap, I pray. Because I'm frequently reaping what someone else has sown and watered. I just have the privilege to be responsible for the reaping. And I have seen a lot of it. I wish I could have seen more. But, you know, one of the things that disturbs us in sharing the gospel is we don't step back when we have an opportunity and we miss it. And so we go on a guilt trip or whatever. What I do is, God, I blew it. I had a moment. I had an opportunity. I should have sensed it quicker. Forgive me. Give me another chance. Maybe not here, somewhere else. We've got to be quick about dealing with it. Because the needs out there are phenomenal. They're phenomenal. You can't even count them. Let me tell you about one of the men that I've shared the Lord with. He's here. He was here in Knoxville. Is that we'll give him the name of John. Now, if you saw John on the street, you would have thought he was a professional football player. He was about 6'8", six, 6'10", six, big hands, no fat. When you looked at his hands, his hands, his fingers were double my fingers. He was like a guy I knew when I was a kid who would work on a car. He would take his fingers and turn the spark plugs. That's how strong this guy's hands were. It's hard to believe that. There were people that did that, and there probably still are. I was reading Hot, Hot Rod magazines the other day in the doctor's office, and it's just amazed. But this guy had moved down to Knoxville, and um, he was close to the park that I took care of cats. And so I asked him to help me with cats once. I ran into him, and we keep bumping into each other. And uh, I had to rescue several dogs, and I asked him if he would help me, and he really loved animals. And so our commonality was our love of animals. But as I got to know him, I got to know his pain. His wife had recently died a year earlier from cancer. Shortly after that, dot-com had crashed. He had lost a fortune. He had been living in New York, had moved down to Knoxville to be able to make ends meet, bought a house, and everybody considered him a freak. He was picked up by the police all the time because he was just so mammoth. This guy must be after trouble. And he had a gentle spirit. He was in such pain. 
And so I would get calls from him late in the night. Hey, can you come pick me up? I'm down at such and such place. So I'd drive down. He eventually had to sell his car. He eventually lost his house. And sometimes I, I had an old Honda at that time. I was driving, and so I'd have to go down off 5th Street down there to get it repaired and walk and pick it up. And I'd run into this guy because he was driving a taxi now. And so, oh, I'll give you a ride. And I would run into him everywhere. My path was always running into him. And the last year of his life, he was in the hospital lot. And I would go check on him. He says, get me out of this place. I can't stand it. But I don't, and I had shared the gospel with him gently. And I don't know if he came to know Christ or not. I won't know till I get to heaven. But I was there for him, sowing, watering. You leave the results to God. You don't do counts. There's no counting here. You can't count. If we count, we'll, we'll wait. Oh, I'm looking for someone who's just like me, and then I'll share the gospel with them. You can't do that. There's not going to be anybody else like you. Well, there probably will be. Well, let's look at some of the applications. I have more stories, but I'll have to mark them out for the time being. Evangelism is in a process that incorporates sowing, watering, and reaping. Some of us are good at one of those. But we need to be able to do them all. Let me ask you, could you share Christ with a young child? Yeah, it's easy. I've shared Christ with all my grandkids and my kids. It's an easy thing to do. But it has to be bathed in prayer for the right moment and the right time. Number two. The miracles of Christ in our life are sovereign events that are open opportunity to speak for Christ. Don't flaunt them or boast about them, nor should we hide them. See, we like to hide our pain. That's what we like to do. We're perfect. We like to hide our pain. No! That pain is an opportunity to speak into someone else's life. And that's the thing, when I was pastor over small groups, I would rack small groups over coals. I want you to be transparent. Don't hide it. We can't have hiding here. The gospel is enriched as we share our pain. We're not bragging about it. We just share it. My older brother has lost two children. Do you know what that pain is like? There is nothing you can say. The only thing you can do is listen and be there. Nothing. 
So our flaws, our sovereign events that God's used in our life will give us power to our testimony is spoken with humility under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it's always got to be done. It's always must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It can't be done otherwise. This miracle, number three, helps us understand the bondage and evil that Satan can do to people. It's real. And you may be working with some of these people or live next door to some of these people. They are in serious pain. And notice how society isolates people. Hmm, where have we noticed that recently? And creates more pain, less opportunity. That is the work of the evil one again in our society. Look at Mark 5, Mark, Matthew 8. That's what's happened here. Isolation. I would have students come into my office when I was teaching full time. And we would sit talking because I'd always have a Bible on the desk or a book, one of the books I'd written on the desk or one of my cat books on the desk. And I always found something, we always found something to talk about. But in the pursuit of those talking, conversations open up. I'm having a hard time with statistics. How do I learn this? And so what you do, you've got to respond with compassion. And, and I always had a lot of mercy for these people because there are people who are not number people. I understand that. When you talk about two plus two, they hide their head under the seat. But we need those numbers, people, in a lot of what we've just recently been through. But only Jesus can deliver us from Satan and our society that isolates. Only he can. We've got to be praying about that. I think the weakest thing this whole pandemic has shown me that the believers have not really been serious about praying. And we got to be serious. It's serious business. We're fighting for our country. We're fighting for our churches. Number four, there are some deep things about prayer here with two yeses and one no in this miracle. But all the answers were for fathering the kingdom of God and glorifying Jesus Christ. Because think about this. At the feeding of the 4,000, now you've got to understand there would have been at least 10,000 people. And they were in this area, the Decapolis. They would have gone back into the Decapolis. And they had the opportunity to minister. See, it doesn't always have to be who we think it is. God's going to do it. It's his work. Let him do it. So we can stand back. Praise the Lord. You've done it again without me. Number five, our Lord has given us three commands. They're still the same. Go to your people. 
report to them what great things God has done for them. You, you might find it helpful to spend a little bit of a day to write down on a sheet of paper what great things God has done for you in the last year. Or even through your whole life. Just think through the great things. Because you now have talking points. You need to have short talking points. You, I've shared the gospel in the elevator. That is hard. But you can do it. You can share it in a checkout line at Walmart. And I do. And a lot of times... I bless them. I don't get into any detail. Have a blessed day. There are so many ways we can water and sow. But we're so fixated on our own time, we don't get the opportunity to do it. And report how he had mercy on you. Golly, we, that, should, that should be overflowing out of us. It should be naturally bubbling out. God's mercies. I noticed, I was reading in Tozer, um, he has a set of books on the character of God, perfections of God. And he had this comment made on mercy. Mercy, mercy is not something God has, but something God is. The goodness of God is the source of his mercy. When we share God's mercy, we're sharing the goodness of God as well. And that should be a natural outflowing of the new man in Christ we are. The new man, not the old man. The new man. So we have a lot to be obedient to. Now, number six, there's nothing there. So you probably think, I forgot it. No, I didn't. I deliberately left it blank. Hosea 14.8 says, From me comes your fruit. Everything comes from him. John 15, I can do nothing apart from him. Nothing. And John 12.24, Unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Or John 15, 8. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. To be my disciples. Being a disciple of Christ is an exciting adventure. Every time I think things are getting boring, it springs up another way. Look for this week some opportunity. Be a blessing. Give a blessing. Water. So the reaping will come in God's time. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege to break forth the word of God.
I pray that we will be attentive, that we will go to, to our people, report the great things you've done for each of us and the mercies you've shown us. Father, we should be overflowing with mercies toward others. Help us to be those kinds of people in Christ's name.